Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Genesis 4. We're continuing our series through Genesis. And today we're in Genesis 4. And if you remember last week, Esteban, he taught on chapter 3. He taught on the fall and how Adam sinned. And because of Adam's rebellion, man was cursed. And towards the end of chapter 3, he reveals those curses. God reveals those curses. And he sends Adam and Eve out of the garden. And he sets the cherubim to keep Adam and Eve away from the tree of life. Now remember, God commanded Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He told them to not do that. And he also told them that if they did that, they would surely die. That is what God said. And now that will be true. And Adam and Eve will no longer live forever, but they will surely die. And there's no doubt that Adam and Eve remembered this promise of God, because after they ate, they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together to make loincloths and cover themselves. And then when they heard the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, what did they do? Well, they, they hide themselves, they hid themselves away from God. Now, if you were like me, growing up, I just thought, well, of course they hid themselves. They were embarrassed that they were naked. And they were embarrassed that they had disobeyed God. And surely they had shame because of their disobedience, but more than likely they are hiding themselves <clears throat> because they know and remember what God has said. They remember that God said if they eat of this tree, they will surely die. And now they have eaten of this tree. And they're thinking, God is here to punish me. And to carry out the promise that he made. And if you were in Adam and Eve's position, you would be terrified, thinking that you are about to reap the consequence of your sin. But as many of us know, who are his children, God showers grace upon grace to Adam and Eve. And though they have significantly and monumentally sinned, and they have consequences that will affect the whole of creation, and though they are banished from the garden, and man's work will now be harder, and woman's childbearing will be painful, God makes better garments for them to cover their nakedness, and he promises that one day in the future a man will come to bruise the head of Satan. God didn't have to do that. He would have been justified to kill Adam and Eve. But he promised that that's what would happen. And it is true, that is what happens. But not right then and there. So now we find ourselves in chapter 4. Adam and Eve, as I said, they've been driven from the garden as a consequence of their disobedience. And they will one day die, as God has promised. But he did not destroy them immediately. You can't read Genesis 3 without being amazed by God's grace to his people. And God could have made Adam and Eve's remaining days miserable. He could have abandoned them, kicked them out of the garden, to live 
their days without his help or favor. For they had sinned greatly, and God had done nothing but showered them with all the blessings of creation and his love. But again, as many of us who are God's children know, God continues to shower Adam and Eve with grace in chapter 4, even though they've greatly sinned. And Christian, do you know this to be true? You do know this to be true. You have experienced God's continual kindness and grace to you, even though your sin is great, just like Adam and Eve. Just think for a moment of your sins the terrible things that you've done in your life. And yet, has God still today been gracious and merciful? He has. Maybe you're not a Christian. Well, I hope this morning you'll see that though your sin is great, God's kindness and mercy is greater and more significant than your sin. And we see God's continual kindness to Adam and Eve right off the bat in Genesis 4. Look at verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Adam and Eve come together. Eve becomes pregnant and gives birth to Cain and says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. She knows that her precious baby is a gift from God and that she has received him with the help of the Lord. But think of what else this verse tells us about God's relationship with Adam and Eve. God has not abandoned them. And she knows that. She may have wondered at one point, was God going to kick her out of the garden and abandon her and her husband? But she's not wondering that anymore. She knows God has given her this child. God has showered her with kindness. And think about what that means, that she, in a way, is dedicating her child to the Lord. If Eve had only seen God as her judge... She would have only fled from his presence and feared his presence, just like they were hiding in the garden. She would have tried to have been as far away from God as possible out of the fear of her past sins. So when Eve is presenting her son to God, she's indicating that she knows that God wants to be her son's father and still wants to receive him into his love and favor. Now how Eve acts should be a lesson to all of us and how we should act. It should be a lesson to us about how God relates to his children whom he loves. You have sins. You have many sins still today. You would not want me to recite your sins before everybody here of the past month. You would be ashamed of all the ways that you have sinned and you would want to hide. Yet God knows every single one of them. And he knows the ones that you're blinded to as well. God should have abandoned Eve of her sin. He should have abandoned us for our sin. And yet God has shown Eve and the rest of his church, you and me, continual grace. And instead of running away from God and not acknowledging God, trying to hide from him, Eve gives praise to God for the birth of her son. Learn this lesson. Though your sin is great, God does not abandon you, church. You will be much better off if you run to God with your sin than if you hide away from God with your sin. God wants to be merciful to you like he has been with Eve, and Eve knows this to be true, but some of you act as if this is not true of God. 
You sin and you run away from God. Maybe for the next couple days, maybe for the week, next week, maybe for the next month. But God, has he not shown you time and time again in his word, in your life, that he does not abandon his people? And so like Eve, give thanks to him. Don't run away from him when you sin, though your sin might be great. Humble yourself and return to him. Look at verse 2. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was the keeper of the sheep and Cain the worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. God gave Adam and Eve, their first son Cain, and another Abel. We don't know if they're twins. It doesn't really matter. But at some time, they now have two sons. God has given Eve descendants. God has given Adam descendants. Remember, God said they would surely die. It would have been reasonable for them to think that they were going to die out. They had sinned. They were promised that they would surely die. But here God is blessing them, giving them successors who will live on after them. Now, let me make a few comments about this honor that is bestowed upon Adam and Eve that they would be allowed to bear children and have descendants to continue on this earth. When God gives fathers and mothers children, realize God is honoring you. It is an honor and blessing to be given children from the Lord. It is a high honor that you should not take lightly. And therefore, you should, in, you should feel the weight to instruct your children in such a way that they would be dedicated to God. Because this is what God expects. Calvin, when he's speaking on this, when parents are given children, he says they should think that I have here a precious possession. But it is from God that I have it. And God must not be deprived of his right, but must always remain the sovereign father of my child. Make sure that you know your kid is a possession given to you from God, and that child belongs to God. God and his church are not attributes or hobbies to add to your life like your child playing in a soccer league at the YMCA. God and his church are not act extracurricular activities that you add to a college resume. Your child belongs to God, and therefore God must be the center of your child's life and your parenting. Now that has various applications, but you know if God is primary in your family's life, or if he's a nice accessory that your family adds. Do not dishonor God. He has given you this gift of a child and that child belongs to God first and foremost. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that he has to grow up and be a pastor. But it does mean that his life must be centered around God. He may be a janitor one day, or a politician, or a doctor, or a school teacher, or a realtor. But your job is to teach him that he is a Christian first who belongs to God before anything else. Make sure you teach your children that they belong to God and teach them what the implications are. Now we see that Adam and Eve 
they taught Cain and Abel about God. Because as they get older, we see both of them bring offerings to the Lord. Starting in verse 3. Cain brought to the Lord the offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Now Cain worked the ground, as it says, and Abel was the keeper of the sheep. And so Cain brought an offering from his work, and Abel an offering from his work. And surprisingly, God accepts the offering from Abel, but he rejects it from Cain. Some translations say, And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had no respect. And so the question you inevitably ask is, well, why? Why would God accept Abel and his offering, but not accept, reject, not respect Cain and his offering? See, from all appearances, as far as we can tell from the text, there is no real difference from these offerings besides what they're bringing. They're both bringing from their work. We're not told that Cain brought the worst of his fruits. We're not told that he kept all the good apples, or he kept all the good apples for himself, but he brought all the bad apples to God. We're given nothing besides the fact that God respected Abel and his offering and rejected Cain and his offering. Everything seems to be equal as it relates to their actual physical offerings. But if you've read your Bible, one thing you know about God is that he looks at the heart and not appearances. 1 Samuel 16.7 says, After the Lord rejects Saul, he says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord sees not as man sees. How does man see? Well, the man looks at outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. We look at the outward appearance of others and their offerings. And if we can't see anything bad on the outside, well, we think it's perfect. We love it. We ooh and all over it. When I was younger, I would be amazed if a professional athlete would give an interview after a game. He'd win a big game, and he'd give an interview and say, I want to first give glory to God for allowing me to play this game. And I thought that was so cool. And I remember getting CDs from bands I liked growing up, and in CD cases they would have these sleeves. And often the lyrics would be on there, and then maybe the band members would give thanks to people, and many of them would start off by thanking Jesus or God. And I would be amazed. Look at this great athlete. He's giving glory to God. He's a Christian. Look at this musician. Amazing musician. They said, Jesus, they have to be a mature Christian, pleasing to the Lord. To me, it was proof enough. But as I got older, I started to realize that for many of those men saying things like that, they were giving empty offerings and thanks to God. For though they were right to give thanks to God for giving them the opportunity or the body to play this sport or the skill to write these songs, their hearts would be far away from God. I would be shocked as I would come to find out that an athlete that I loved, whom I'm sure was a mature Christian because of an interview, 
would come out and say or do such terrible things. I would still hear people, though, fawn over many of these people because they only knew of the few public words that they said in an interview. And my point is not to make a judgment of every athlete that gives glory to God. I'm sure there are quite a few that are true believers. My point is that we, as humans, look on the outside of people's offerings and we don't look at the heart as God does, because God looks at the heart. We're amazed by outward appearances. God looks at the heart. God isn't impressed when someone says they would like to thank God if they dishonor him and their heart is far from him the rest of the week. But before you get comfortable with me just picking on celebrities, everyone does this. You do this. You may see someone in this church giving their time and their energy and be amazed by their sacrifice. But their heart might be far from God. God is not impressed by offerings and sacrifices if the heart is not there. Because someone in your church knows lots of answers to theological questions or posts good quotes on social media or attends church events does not necessarily mean that they're pleasing to God or that they're mature in Christ. And you should know this about yourself, that this is how we see men. Do not think so highly of yourself that you are the person who doesn't get fooled by outward appearances. You are so mature that you always know what's going on in someone's heart. Jesus talks about this in Luke 16, 15. He says, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. See, God cares about faithfulness, integrity, uprightness. God does not care how big your offering is. That's why the woman in the gospel who puts one coin in is spoken of by Jesus as giving more than everyone else because she gave all that she had. It was, go- was going on inside her heart that made her offering pleasing to God. And it's still the same today. Many churches have gotten massive financial gifts from congregants, and they've ooed and they've awed about how generous this person is. And there's probably been many times when that offering has not been pleasing to the Lord. In fact, maybe that person was just trying to give to God because they feel guilty in their hearts. They know their sin, and instead of coming to God in repentance, they think that they will please God by a sacrifice. But that has not, is not, and will never be pleasing to God. It's not what God is after. It's not what God is after in your heart. He's not after you giving your time and you giving your money and you going to this Bible study or that Bible study if your heart is far from him. Instead, he wants people that come to him with broken and contrite hearts over their sin not people who persuade themselves that church attendance will get them on God's good side. Church, we all do this in many ways. Please don't be so blind to think this is not you. 
You sin weekly, daily. And instead of having remorse over your sin and confessing it to God and to others, you move on. And you try to be good for the rest of the day or the rest of the week. As if, if you continue to just do good for the rest of the day, God will be happy with you now. But God isn't looking for your good deeds after you sin and saying, well, since I did this other thing, I guess, uh, I guess God will be happy with me because I've, I've done all these good things for the rest of the day. This is not what pleases God. A heart that loves God and honors him is what pleases him. And this is why God respects Abel's off, Abel and his sacrifice, but not Cain. Go look, in, go look back at the text in the middle of verse 4. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Do you notice that Moses tells us that the Lord had regard, or some translations, respected Abel and his offering, but not Cain and his offering? He could have written, God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's sacrifice. But instead he wrote, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. He begins with the person, and then he, he moved to his works. He's not concerned about the appearance of his offering. He's most concerned about the person and his heart. If you want God to approve of your acts of worship that you offer him, he must approve of you and consider you acceptable to him. But people all the time think that they can please God by outward appearances, by works. They can buy God off by doing something good, giving money, giving their time, whatever it is, to get God off their backs. God respected Abel and his sacrifice because God knew Abel's heart, and he knew Cain's heart, and we know what's in Cain's heart by how he responds, as we see in a moment. But then the question that you ask is, well, how does God accept us? How can we be a person who is acceptable to God as Abel was? We know from the rest of Scripture that our sacrifices are not needed from God. Needed by God, excuse me. He doesn't need our sacrifice. He accepts and is pleased by the offerings of his people. But our offerings are only pleasing to God if we first are pleasing and acceptable to God. God only accepts your offerings if he first accepts you as a person. So how does he find us acceptable? Well, we saw how last week, we saw how terrible sin is and how it's cursed everything about this world. So how could we ever be accepted by God? We know there is nothing good in us but sin and corruption. Our thoughts and affections are wicked. So if God is going to accept us, it's not going to be because of anything that we do. It's going to be solely because he is good and gracious to us. But then you have to ask, well, how in the world would I ever perceive this to be true about me? How would I know that God desires to be gracious to me? When God reconciles a person to himself, when he makes them acceptable to him, he renews us and he cleanses us by his spirit. And when he does that work, which he does out of the kindness of his heart and his grace, he gives us a spirit, the spirit of adoption so that we can be assured that we are his children. 
Romans 8, 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And once God has renewed a person and cleansed them and given the spirit of adoption, now that person becomes acceptable to him. So the person first becomes acceptable to God, and then God will accept his gift. Person first, offering second. That is why Abel and his sacrifice were accepted. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. See, God, we know from John 4.24, God wants to be worshipped in spirit and truth, so he looks for spiritual worship. He looks on the hearts, and he desires truth and integrity, but he loathes appearances that are meant to cover up hypocrisy and insincerity and impurity. And the prophets are continually and constantly arguing to the Jews and trying to convince them that their ceremonies are worthless and they're despised by God because they completely miss the heart And that is the reason that God rejected Cain's sacrifice. God wants spiritual worship, and he looks on the person's heart. A person is only pleasing to God after he's been renewed by God and and he's cleansed them from their sin. And therefore the man's heart is made pleasing to God. So So if God has made you a Christian, he's renewed you, he's given you faith, and you've repented of your sins and turned to him, how do you worship God spiritually? How do you worship God like Abel and not like Cain? Well, it's not rocket science. We obey God. Obedience is the mother of all virtues. It always has been. 1 Samuel 15.22 tells us that to obey is better than sacrifice. God has always preferred obedience over sacrifice, but the Jews constantly would flip that around, and so do we. God wants you to obey him. But even when I say that, you must know that your obedience must come from a heart that is acceptable to God, that is a heart that loves God, a heart that is upright, a heart that repents of sin and is contrite and broken when it commits sin. Don't be like the Jews. Don't be like how they often were, thinking that if they obeyed God, they would be pleasing to him. Meanwhile, their hearts are far from him. But when God forgives a person of their sins, that person and their works become pleasing to him. If the person is pleasing to God, their works will be pleasing to God, even though their works are still tainted and imperfect. Think of how a kid obeys their parents. Think of a kid who obeys their parents. Though our analogies are always going to fail and fall short, we can think of a couple different scenarios that will help us understand these points. Think of a young child, maybe a four-year-old, little girl. She loves her mommy. She sees how hard her mommy works for the family. She sees that mommy has a lot to pick up on the table after dinner, but mommy's feeling sick today. And so she goes to lie down before she comes back to pick up from lunch. And so this young girl, four-year-old girl, she decides from the great love of her heart for her mom that she's going to clean up from lunch. The young girl decides she's going to do what her mom usually does. 
And so she picks up the dishes and she brings them to the sink. But she's short, so she reaches up and she drops them in the sink and a glass breaks. She goes and she picks up another drink. It's got soda in it and she spills it all over the floor. The mother comes out from her short nap and the daughter's there trying to clean up the mess of soda that she's made, but she's only using paper towel, so the floor is going to be sticky. And Mom knows this. And she says, Mommy, I wanted to clean up because I love you. I know you, were, I know you were sick. Now, a tired mom could be tempted to be annoyed that the extra work has been created. But if she's self-controlled in that moment... She will not be upset at all by the imperfect work of her daughter. Instead, she will gladly accept it because of the heart of her daughter is sweetly for her. As imperfect as the job might have been, and though she surely would have fired a maid if she had done that quality of work, the mother adores and gladly accepts the daughter's offering to her mother because the heart behind it is so wonderful and beautiful. This is similar to how our obedience to God is accepted as an act of spiritual worship to him. Our obedience is always imperfect. Our motives are never fully pure, neither are our actions. But because God has forgiven us of our sins, he's made us pleasing to him, our acts of worship can be sweet and pleasing to God, though still very imperfect and tainted. But think of another daughter, a teenage girl, She's been commanded by her mother to pick up after dinner. But this girl is annoyed at her mom. And she doesn't really care for her mom. Her mom is an obstacle to her. But she wants her mom to get off her back and to allow her to go to her friend's house where she can continue to dishonor her mother with sinful speech and activities. And so she cleans, as she's told, but she does so with disdain for her mother through her heart. You can see it on her face. She's only obeying because she's trying to buy her mom off. She knows that if she doesn't clean, she's not going to get to go to her friend's house. And so she, she really just wants to obey because she wants to get away from her mom. She wants her mom off her back. She may clean better than the four-year-old, but we all know which offering a mother would prefer. The mom doesn't care that the dishes were done perfectly. She's heartbroken that her daughter's heart is so far away from her. She's angry when she finds the text messages sent from her daughter's phone behind her back about her mom because she thought maybe her mom wouldn't see them. Two acts of obedience, two very different scenarios. Seek to be as Abel was. We have a fuller story. Abel had but a few words from his parents about the promise of God, and yet he had faith to please God with his offering. Let me make a few quicker points from the rest of the text. We, we can see that Cain gets angry that he's been rejected by God in verse 5. The Lord confronts him, but Cain does not heed the warning from the Lord. And more likely, all familiar, that instead of Instead of turning around and repenting, 
he takes his anger out on his brother by killing him. God has rejected Cain and his sacrifice. But we've seen God be merciful to Adam and Eve in multiple ways. He was merciful to Abel to accept his offering, his imperfect sacrifice. Why would we think that he wouldn't be ready to be merciful to Cain? In fact, he is. He comes to Cain, ready to offer forgiveness if his heart would be devoted to good. God didn't abandon Cain. He comes and he speaks to him to help him. And yet Cain refuses to inquire more. He doesn't repent of his anger, and instead he goes off and kills his brother. Cain rejected God's judgment. He was angry about God's judgment, but that doesn't matter because God is his judge, and he will be our judge. You can try to make God believe that he is obligated to treat you and your sacrifices favorably. That's what Cain thought. God should have accepted my sacrifice. Be careful you do not become angry at God like Cain if God and when God rebukes you. When God disciplines you, be careful you don't go into a fit of rage in your heart. We see men do this. It never ends well. Instead, every time you find yourself being rebuked by God or that he's not accepting your works, consider inwardly with the heart of humility, why do I need to be rebuked by God? I already made the point that all of our works, all of our acts of worship to God are imperfect. So why would we be surprised when our loving Father disciplines us to make us more like Him and weed out our sin? God disciplines us for our good so that we may share in His holiness. That's what Hebrews 12.10 says. So every time your conscience bothers you, God is alerting you to the fact that you have not worked, walked purely. The Spirit's burdening your conscience. Not because He's mean, but rather it is a kindness from God to lead you to repentance. Learn to be thankful when God rejects your offering. It may sound weird, but when you come to God with a humble heart, when he disciplines you or he pricks your conscience, he was always leading you to greater godliness. It is always for your good. We have a hard thing come up and we think God is just being mean to us. You have trials come up and it can only mean to you that God has forgotten about you and he doesn't care about you. It's not the case. God is wanting to lead you to greater life in him. He's wanting to teach you and help you repent of your sins that are weighing you down and affecting your life in ways that you don't even know. It would have been good for Cain. It would have been for Cain's good as well, if he would have humbled himself. He's not accepting him and his sacrifice because Cain's heart is not right, and so God tries to help him see this, but 
Cain refuses and instead kills his brother. Now, if you're not a Christian and you don't know if you're pleasing to God, let me tell you that he has brought you here today because he is wanting to renew you and cleanse you of your sins. Maybe you've been living your life as if it feels, and it feels like God is just rejecting you and rejecting you and rejecting you and nothing's working out. God isn't doing that because he enjoys being mean to you. God is doing that so that you can come to the end of yourself and come to him and have your heart made new, your sins forgiven, and worship him and serve him that is actually pleasing to him like Abel. And maybe you've been living your life like Cain for far too long. Maybe you've been bringing offerings to God, just trying to get them off your back. Meanwhile, your heart is far from him. Don't continue in your anger and rejection of God's discipline. Instead, humble yourself, confess your sins, stop trying to cover them up, and then by doing good deeds, trying to buy God off. He wants a heart of faithfulness and integrity. And he will cleanse you of your sins if you humble yourself and admit them. Be broken over your sins. God is ready to make you new. And in doing so, he will accept you into his family, giving you the spirit of adoption and accepting your work. Father, let's stop there. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, will you forgive us? Father, we are so much like the Jews who think that our ceremonies are lifting our hands in worship. Our attendance, small groups, our reading our Bibles daily, are the things that make us pleasing to you. Forgive us for thinking this way, Father. Father, thank you for making us acceptable to you by your grace. Father, would you help us? Would you help us to have contrite and broken hearts over our sin? not trying to just act good for the rest of the day as some sort of payback for our sin. Instead, coming to you repenting, confessing our sins to you and others, knowing that you have forgiven us and knowing that our sins and our good works, our good works are not what make us right with you. And our sins have been forgiven. Father, as you discipline us and at times reject our offering, would you help us not be as Cain acts, full of anger, feeling obligated, that, feeling that you should be obligated to accept what we've done, arguing with you in our hearts that you should have been kinder? Instead, would you humble us Help us ask the question, what do we need to repent of? Why are you disciplining me right now? Would you be kind to answer these things? 
Father, thank you that us being acceptable to you has nothing to do of our own goodwill. Because if it did, we would never have been acceptable to you. Thank you that through Jesus Christ, paying for our sins, you have washed away our sins. You have made us acceptable to you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can you stand with us as we sing one?